Hello, everyone, and welcome to Just a Position, the podcast where we explore mental health, vulnerability, and personal life journeys. So make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already, and listen to new episodes out every Thursday, wherever you listen to your podcasts. This is going to be a heavy episode. I'm just going to let you guys know ahead of time, but I think it's really important that we talk about these issues because so much has been happening in the USA over the past few weeks, and it's really really heavy stuff. And um, just being on TikTok, it's really hard to scroll at any time without seeing one of the topics that I'm going to be talking about in this podcast episode being dissected. And um, I really feel like it's important for me to make this episode because these are things that we have to talk about because it's about our future. It's about the future generation protecting our children. And just things that honestly, I would feel really guilty if I didn't talk about and if I didn't use my platform to discuss these topics. So just letting you know, this is not going to be a very cheerful episode. It is going to be a heavier one. I'm going to try not to rant in this episode because some of these topics <clears throat> that I want to cover in today's podcast, um, you know, do get me a little bit heated, but I want to come more so from a discussion standpoint and from an open-minded perspective of which I hope you will return that grace as you listen to this episode as well because this is really really dark really heavy stuff but it's our future and it's absolutely important that we talk about it so the thing I'm wanting to discuss in today's episode is really revolving around the question of does the USA actually care about protecting our children I know from you know first hearing this question, you're thinking, oh, absolutely. Like, of course, who wouldn't want to protect our children? But I think it's a much more complicated topic. And there's a lot of gray areas when discussing this. And I want to kind of look at it from a bigger perspective in the midst of everything that is going on politically, socially um, in this country. And really just seeing like if the things that we are doing as a country right now really do center around that question. If we actually are prioritizing the future and the safety of our children, or if we are hyper fixating on minute issues that, you know, ugh, may seem like a big deal, but aren't really aligning with the priority of protecting our future generation. I'll get into the specific topic, but the, the main thing that inspired this question is everything that's going on in the USA <clears throat> regarding the trans bans that are happening. And if you aren't aware, um, there is a huge issue right now with um, trans gender affirming care, which is um, medical care that uh, assists trans individuals in transitioning to um, the gender that they identify with rather than the gender that was assigned to them at birth. And this is a really big topic right now. Um, maybe you're not seeing it a lot if you're not on TikTok, but if you are on TikTok, you know that this is a huge topic. And politically, there's been a lot of action that has happened. There's been a lot of focus on Tennessee, um, but this is much bigger than just Tennessee alone because so far, and I'm going to be referencing my notes throughout this episode, but so far, 11 states have already passed bans on gender affirming care, and 20 other states are considering passing bans on gender affirming care care as well. So what does this mean? In 11 states already, it has become criminalized to provide 
um, gender transitioning care to your child. Anyone who is under 18, it is now illegal to provide that. And depending on the state, um, there's different levels of severity, um, whether it's a more smaller scale crime or all the way up to a felony, it has basically become illegal within these states to provide gender affirming care, which means that any children who are currently in the process of transitioning are no longer allowed to take uh, hormone therapy or any medication that is assisting them in their transition, which actively means that if they are not taking that medication, they are detransitioning. Now, this is a really big deal, and I understand there's a lot of sides to this and it's done under the pretense of talking about protecting children and making sure that they are not making that decision until they are 18 years old. Now, I have a lot of thoughts when it comes to this and I think this is related to a lot of the other topics that I want to cover in this podcast episode because um from the outside looking in, I can see how people would be like, this is about protecting children. This is about making sure that they are in the right state of mind before they are transitioning and making that big of a decision and don't have to go through the potential regret of detransitioning. But I have to say, um, in seeing everything happening around the bans on gender affirming care, I get so scared for trans children around the country who are within these states or the states who are considering this ban because this type of legislation will actively kill children. If you haven't looked at the data, it is absolutely mind-blowing. Um, I could make an entire episode about this alone, but the suicide rates of individuals within the LGBT plus community, let alone specifically the trans community, are exponentially higher than any other group of people. And this is because it takes so much anguish and pain and a really intensive process of self-discovery to even get to the point of identifying as gay, as lesbian, or specifically as trans. And trans individuals um, by far are the highest number of suicides within the trans within the LGBT plus community. And passing legislation like this that, have, that is actively banning kids from being able to transition will only increase that number. And the reason I talk about this is because whenever I've seen discussions happening within, you know, court systems for each of these states, it's always talking about like wanting to protect the children, wanting to keep them safe. But I can't help but look at it and be like, this type of legislation will kill children. If children do not have the mental health support, the gender affirming care that they need, if they are actively told that transitioning as a minor is a criminal offense and that that is not permitted, let alone within a lot of these states, all the other legislation, as well as just social pressure to not be trans or not identify with the LGBT plus community, that will only drive them further into suicide, which is actively hurting and killing off our future generation. And I know that there's discourse back and forth between whether or not it is a right decision to wait until someone is 18 or as a minor. But I have talked to trans individuals. I have watched so much content from trans content creators as well, talking about the process of how they were able to transition as a child. And it is not an easy process by any means. It is actually an extremely strenuous process that a lot of people have described as just extremely painful, extremely difficult, and having to face constant barriers just in order to get the gender affirming care they need to 
feel like they're okay in their own bodies. And I will never be able to personally understand the experience of transitioning. Uh, I am not trans myself, but I can't help but feel like even with my own experience as coming out as gay and how tremendously difficult that is, how much more exponentially difficult it is to come out as trans and to get that gender affirming care. So by banning it, we're not only making sure that trans youth will not be able to transition. It is sending an active message to them that they are not worthy, that this is not okay, that this is a decision that is not respectable and can only be done when you're an adult. And that there's so much shame around it. And it's even come to the point that so many families have had to pick up and leave their home state immediately, like literally ditch their house overnight to go to another state because by parents providing, you know, their child with the hormone support that they need in order to transition or um, any care surrounding gender affirming care, because it's multifaceted. There's so many different things within gender affirming care, whether it's mental health support, um, whether it's, you know, doctor's checkups, as well as, you know, hormone therapy just by the parents providing that they are an active criminal and just by being in their home state they could uh, face legal consequences be put in jail so many serious serious consequences just for providing the support that their kids need in order to transition to the gender that they know they are and identify with. And I know that there's a lot of concern around like, well, what if they transition and then they regret it and they have to detransition? I understand that that is a thing that happens. It's a valid concern, but I don't think it will anywhere near close to amount to the amount of children that will kill themselves because their state, their country is actively telling them that you, the gender you identify as, is not okay, it's illegal, and it should be shamed. A lot of times I think we tend to fixate on what the, you know, legal consequences are and what that, what this means from a political and legal standpoint, but we ignore the social aspects too. Like take, you know, the legalization for, of gay marriage, for example, you know, that was passed a long time ago, but still to this day within so many states, within my hometown, Identifying as gay alone creates so much social change, creates dangerous environments for people to be in, for children to be in, um, regardless of what the legalities are, regardless of what is allowed from a legal perspective or not. It takes so many years just to get to the point of social acceptance. And by rein like reinstating these laws that banned gender-affirming care, it is only making that timeline of acceptance so much longer. And like I said before, this will actively kill children. Children will want to commit suicide and we will see a spike in suicides by these laws being passed. And it is so, so dangerous for children. And I can't get that out of my head when it comes to the conversation around banning gender-affirming care because I just can't help but think of all the children that are going to lose their lives. Whew, sorry. Getting a little emotional. Um, all, all the children that are going to lose their lives because they are actively being told by their community, by their state, by their government that who they are is not okay and who they are should be criminalized. It's extremely dangerous and it's moving backwards in so many ways. And I think regardless of what your personal positioning or opinions are on trans individuals, I do not think it is right to take that away from someone else simply because of your own 
opinions on what you think is okay in regards to transitioning because now in the process of transitioning as a child you need to have the familial support you need to have support from your parents it's a very long complicated process just to get hormone therapy and just to get the medication that you need in order to start transitioning and by putting these laws into place it will kill children and when seeing the news around this stuff I started to think more so about this question of does the USA actually care about protecting its children? And I want to go into some of the other aspects of what is happening in our country right now to really explore that question. Suppressing people's identities from a legal standpoint, let alone a social standpoint, by not allowing people to be who they truly are, will not only push them towards suicide, of which I have personally experienced myself. I went through the experience of attempting to take my own life because I couldn't reconcile with who I was and I felt that who I was as a person was not okay largely because of my sexuality it will not only push them to suicide or it will push them to transferring that pain onto others which is where I think we see so many more issues within this country of which I want to get into but by allowing this suppression from a legal standpoint it is extremely dangerous not only to the individuals that are specifically being impacted by this but also to other individuals because people respond in different ways to internal pain and it is very easy for people to take that pain out on others and i think that's really dangerous as well um and it's just kind of mind-blowing to see that this type of legislation is being passed under the importance of protecting children, whereas I think there are so many other things that are happening in this country that we could make significant action from that would do a much better job of protecting children, and I want to get into those. Also to add on to this as well, there's been a lot of attention around uh, Tennessee's ban on drag shows. And if you aren't familiar with it, I highly encourage you to look it up as well. But it criminalizes any drag queens from uh, being present, just being themselves as a drag queen, you know, fully dressed up um, in any environment that is not specifically um, labeled as, say, like a nightlife environment. Um, and this was largely inspired from uh, activities that drag queens were doing, which was like reading books to children in libraries, having um, drag shows where children would be present, drag brunches, things like that. There has been so much outrage about this um, simply because of drag queens. And this really had me scratching my head because I have seen many a drag shows, okay? I'm very familiar with it. I have been, you know, in the nightlife scene where drag queens have support uh, performed at gay clubs. And each of the environments that I have seen um, where drag queens are interacting with children, it's a very wholesome environment. It'll be a brunch where a drag queen is just doing like a dance performance. Um, maybe they'll, you know, be talking to the people, making some jokes. But in any environment where there are children, um, there's an automatic precedent that is set amongst the people who are performing that, you know, the content of the show needs to be appropriate for anyone who is there. Um, now, obviously, and... <laughs> 
so, you know, certain drag shows that I have been to, of course, contain more adult subject material, but that's specifically because in those environments, it's been like nightclubs, you know, um, gay parties, environments where you definitely we would not be seeing children. Um, and that's, of course, up to the discretion of the parents. But those environments and those shows and appearances are not at all geared towards children. Um, and, you know, I think most people would agree that it's maybe not appropriate to bring your child into one of those settings where drinking is very prevalent. Um, you know, there may be music that a lot of people feel isn't appropriate for children, et cetera, et cetera. That much is very clear. Uh, but there's been so much outrage about just the possibility of a drag queen being around a child and how that could corrupt their mind and how it could be completely inappropriate and how drag queens are overtly sexual and extremely inappropriate. And by just being around children, they are transmitting those, you know, uh, messages to them, which I personally think is just absolutely ridiculous because even with drag queens reading to children, the whole precedent of that is helping with education, helping children to be more open-minded, um, you know, showing that drag is an art form because it really is, you know, the makeup, the outfits, the dancing, it is truly an art form. Drag in its core is not adult entertainment. It is an art form. And whether a drag queen wants to be in an environment where maybe, you know, adult entertainment is more prevalent or not, it's not a reflection of the actual artistry of drag. But there has been so much outrage to the point that drag queens, you know, are being criminalized for being in drag in any environment besides, say, an adult nightclub. <clears throat> And I just have to say, there is an extreme double, and I just have to say, I think there's an extreme double standard at play when it comes to this because parents and the governments of these states are so worried about sexual messaging being um, promoted amongst children from drag queens, of which I will say, personally, having been to drag shows, I rarely see that happening. And you know where I see more sexualized performances happening? At Super Bowl halftime shows, at football games with cheerleaders wearing very, you know, like um, revealing clothing. Hell, I even see pictures all the time of parents bringing their kids to Hooters, an environment that is very much geared towards adults, where their children are in that you know, hypersexual environment and it's celebrated online. People are like, oh, you're teaching them young. That's so great. Start them while they're young. There is so many other environments that are so much more hypersexualized and, you know, inappropriate for children to be at. But because it's a heterosexual environment versus a homosexual environment, no one is saying anything. No one is complaining. No one is mandating these environments or what the children can see. And on the opposite side, it's being supported. It's being celebrated. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous that bringing your kids to say like Hooters would be celebrated, but a drag queen reading books to children in a library to po promote education would be seen as inappropriate. It's just absolutely mind blowing to me because I'm like, why are we focusing on this? This is completely if we really care about like what messaging is being sent to children in the environment um, and protecting, you know, the sanctity of their minds. Why are we focusing on this and not the environments that 
are extremely hypersexualized and I would say are inappropriate for children. Why is the attention on this? And it really comes down to, you know, this unacceptance for anything that falls outside of the heterosexual perspective. And it's very frustrating because I'm like, okay, this, you know, if, if this is what you're going to do, be honest about it. This is not about protecting children. This is about mandating where and when people who uh, do drag or identify as homosexual or part of the LGBT plus community, what they can do, where they can be, what they can say. And that is very dangerous. It's very slippery slope, um, particularly in reference to everything that is happening, say, with the trans bills. It is extremely concerning to see the language and the rhetoric that is being used. Um, I am someone who has always been very, very passionate about learning about corrupt governments and specifically genocides because for me I've always just been mind blown as to how countries and societies can you know devolve to the point of justifying genocide and this hateful behavior and it starts with this hateful rhetoric and speech and I'm specifically referring to the countless amount of videos that I have seen from politicians from religious leaders from social leaders that are explicitly saying we need to eradicate transness from our society we need to exterminate these individuals from our society in order to protect the sanctity of our country and in order to protect our children and this language is a very slippery slope to the type of mentality into the type of behaviors that have been justified in so many genocides that I have studied about. And there's been a lot of conversation on TikTok around, you know, the 10 phases of genocide and where we're at currently is at the seventh. I've seen some people say seventh, some people say eighth. I would personally say we're at the seventh stage of genocide where we are very close to the hateful behaviors that could easily slip into violence against trans individuals and people within the LGBT plus community. And the problem is, is that that violence is already currently happening. Trans individuals are some of the highest victims of homicides, of domestic violence, of random acts of violence, um, even currently today. And just by having these legislations surrounding drag queens, surrounding um, gender affirming care, that violence will only increase exponentially unless we do something about it, um, which, you know, in my opinion, is not passing these laws. But it takes so much more than even just legal work. It takes social action. And from what I'm seeing in the USA, because everyone is focused on promoting this message of protecting the children um, and anything that they say doesn't align with that is immediately shot down. Uh, this type of behavior, violence, suicide, all of these things will only continue and grow, um, let alone the potential of you know, the type of thinking that has started so many genocides in the past. I'm on a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's really important to note that because we are on a very slippery slope right now uh, where it will be very easy for people to transfer their hateful thinking and their hateful rhetoric into violence. Uh, it's already happening, and I really believe that if these states continue to ban gender-affirming care and ban drag shows, uh, that that will only increase
And that's not even mentioning how many political leaders and religious leaders have been caught in the past either one, doing drag, or two, participating in homosexual activities when they are so anti-gay. It's just ridiculous. It, it just shows the hypocrisy that is present and it shows the prioritization of protecting one religious viewpoint uh, rather than actually focusing on protecting the children. And that's really what I want to get into right now too. Like, okay, if we actually cared about protecting children, what steps would we make? What things would we put into legal action today to help that happen? And first off, I don't think that children transitioning or drag shows are the primary things that are harming children today and I think you'd have to be really delusional to think that because that you can not only see it from a social perspective but you can also see it from a statistical perspective as well and that's what I want to get into. First let's talk about an epidemic that everyone is aware of but we are doing absolutely nothing about school shootings. School shootings have been absolutely out of control and just regular mass shootings have been a huge problem that has been present really ever since Columbine high school shooting but specifically within the last like five years they have just exponentially increased and here's the data that i found 349,000 students have experienced a school shooting in the usa that is mind-blowing and even more blind mind-blowing 377 school shootings have occurred since columbine high school shooting that number is so exponentially higher than any countries around the world who have put well any countries first of all we are the number one country in the world for school shootings but particularly comparing to any other countries that have made more strict gun control laws it is mind-blowingly higher like comparing if you look at other countries around the world who have put into place gun control laws um you know the amount of school shootings is less than 10 as compared to the usa where we are at 377 since that was 1996 when columbine school shooting happened and in 2023 alone, just 2023, 129 mass shootings have occurred. And that doesn't include all shootings. I believe the number for all shootings is 349, um, but 129 mass shootings have happened. It is so maddening to me to see the rhetoric <clears throat> that is constantly promoted around protecting the Second Amendment and protecting our rights to guns and how actively people are ignoring the victims of school shootings, the victims of mass shootings, and hearing their perspective. Because in my opinion, when it comes to making legislation around this, when it comes to the action steps that we need to take in order to protect children from shootings, we need to listen to the people who have experienced it. We need to listen to the children who have been through that, who the, through the parents who have endured having to go through that experience of having their child being in a shooting. They should be at the forefront of the legal action that is being made because they know firsthand what can happen and what is so easy to think, oh, it'll never happen to me actually occurring and happening to them. And the problem is they are actively being ignored and instead no uh, gun control laws have been put into place um, from an overarching USA government perspective. And in a lot of states, a lot of gun control laws have become even more loose or it's becoming easier and easier to purchase a gun. And I know 
the rhetoric. I know the statement that everyone says about the good guy with a gun, um, about how if you arm more people and if more people are open carrying, then it'll be able to prevent shootings. But if you look at the actual data, and I won't get into the specific data, but there have been studies done on this. That is a myth. For school shootings that have been prevented, it is almost comical how few of them have been prevented by people who have a weapon on them, the good guy with a gun, um, and instead have been prevented by other measures. And the most significant of these being stricter gun control laws within the USA. And I get that people are really wanting to protect their right to be able to have a gun. And from what I've been able to see amongst the majority of people among the left, the people who I see every day on TikTok talking about this topic, um, you know, there's a very clear fear of like, don't take our guns away. They're going to remove all guns. They're going to remove all rights. But I don't see anyone supporting that messaging. It's just having more strict laws that allow for background checks, that allow for mental health checks to ensure that people who do own a gun have, you know, the right uh, mindset, have the right level of responsibility, are at the right age in order to own that. And it's kind of mind-blowing to me that there is so much resistance against that alone because it is crazy to look at videos on YouTube that I have seen showing the ease as to which a teenager can go and purchase a weapon that is capable of killing so many people, of destroying so many lives, and there's so much resistance against having appropriate background checks around age limits, around access for anyone to just go and purchase a gun rather than making sure that um, people who can responsibly own a gun are able to. And it's just always been mind-blowing to me too, because it's like we have so many restrictions around so many other aspects of our life in order to keep us safe. Look at seatbelts, for example. There was so much resistance against seatbelts when they first came out um, because people didn't want that interfering with their driving. But ever since it became legally required to put a seatbelt on, it has saved so many lives. And Nowadays, there's absolutely no resistance against that. And I'm like, why do we have so much resistance against owning a weapon that is capable of killing so many people? And within that, I know that there's so much conversation uh, from a lot of people among the right who say that, well, it's not a gun problem. It's a people problem. It's a mental health problem. I see that rebuttal all the time. And ignoring the real reality that a person on their own is not capable of killing hundreds of people within minutes um, on their own without access to a weapon, just, you know, setting that to the side. Let's talk about the mental health perspective, because a lot of people say that it's a mental health epidemic that we should be focusing on, not the gun problem. And I see a lot of people from the right saying this. And I have to ask, if mental health is a priority, why is it that the majority of politicians on the right actively have opposed more access to mental health care? Um, I think if this really is a mental health epidemic, which it is, I mean, obviously, if someone is willing to shoot up a school, they have serious, serious mental health problems that need to be addressed. Why isn't mental health um, free for everyone? Like in Hawaii, uh, therapy sessions cost like $200 to $300 per session. That is not accessible whatsoever. And a lot of therapists um, are not able to partner with insurance providers. And the fact that you would need insurance in the first place shows that there is a level of inaccessibility 
to having mental health services? Why are we not working as a government, as a country, to provide more mental health services specifically to children to target any trauma that they have early on so it doesn't um, rapidly accelerate into mental health problems that would allow them to think that hurting people is okay? Why are we not allowing mental health services overall to be a free um, or accessible service to all U.S. citizens in the first place? Why are we not focusing on that? If it really is not about the gun and it is about the person, which, you know, if that is what people want to focus on, okay, fine, let's provide mental health services. But politicians who are actively supporting the right to bear arms are actively going against any services that would allow for mental health treatment. And there's a huge stigma currently still around mental health. That's why I talk about it so much on this podcast, because there are still so many people who actively think that mental health treatment is a scam, that it's embarrassing, that it's not something that should be supported, um, or that mental health services should only be provided to people once they are at an extreme level of distress versus targeting these issues early on when you're a kid. It's just mind-blowing to me that that's what the conversation will be so many times, but we are doing nothing as a country to provide adequate mental health services to our citizens. If we really cared about protecting children, we would care about protecting their mental health early on from a young age and continuing to provide those mental health services so that whatever trauma they are experiencing that is pushing them to hurt other people can be resolved early on in life. But nobody wants to talk about that. Nobody wants to focus on providing those services that can address the underlying issue that is motivating such heinous actions like this, which again brings the question of do we really care about protecting the children or do we really care about keeping the status quo and not interrupting any ability um, for anyone to bear arms, you know? Uh, it, it's just, it's mind-blowing to me. And in light of protecting children as well, I want to shift uh, to the topic of the Willow Project as well. I know if you're on TikTok, you've probably seen posts about the Willow Project. I haven't seen it literally anywhere else. And, you know, mainstream news coverage has definitely not been talking about it as well. But the Willow Project was recently signed into place, which would allow for a large portion of Alaska to be used for oil drilling. From this project alone, there would be an estimated 600 million barrels of oil and 9.2 million metric tons of CO2 released into the atmosphere every single year. Thankfully, and this is just updated, I recently just learned about this, there are some senators who are pushing to reverse the approval of the Will Project because it hasn't been started yet. It was approved, but it hasn't been started yet. And there are senators who are pushing against. So make sure you call your senator to let them know um, to oppose the Willow Project and to overturn it because this project will severely affect our future generations uh, and the protection of the climate, the protection of our earth, and our ability to, you know, <laughs> stay alive as humans for future generations and protect our ability to, you know, access resources sustainably. It's extremely uh, damaging. It's so heartbreaking to think that it will be happening in Alaska, a region that has been protected from projects like this that would hurt the environment, the animals, <clears throat> the health of the biome there. And it's actively 
threatening the future generations that we have. The current generation, um, whether it be Gen Z or um, the lower generation as well, I, I forget what it's called, alpha something? Ooh, I forget what the lower generation is called, but anyone who's below Gen Z have had to grow up in a reality of realizing that we may not be around for very long because of the greed that our government and that corporations have to focus solely on profits rather than sustainability. It is threatening their future. And they are very much aware of this. And if we really cared about protecting children, we would first be opposing any actions or bills or allowances from the government that would permit corporations to be destroying the earth in this way and not even mentioning the mental health impact of having younger generations growing up realizing that there may not be a world for us in the future where we will survive there may be a future very easily within our lifetime where there will be a lack of resources where there will be huge amounts of deaths and diseases and issues that come from corporate greed alone um, and prioritizing profits over prioritizing the safety of our climate and the safety of the earth. If we really cared about protecting children, why are we not having more conversations around climate change? And the problem is, is that people are having conversations, but the parties and the groups that are so concerned about protecting children in relation to banning drag shows in relation to banning gender-affirming care are the people who are supporting projects like the Willow Project, who are supporting corporate greed, who are supporting climate change denial, which is mind-blowing to me because the data is there, the statistics is there. We are at a point now where you can no longer say that the science isn't adding up because the science is there. You know, like 99.99% of climate change data analysts all agree that climate change will definitely affect our current generations and future generations and could very much be the reason why our existence is wiped out within the near future. So the data is there, but it's just mind-blowing to me that the same people who are so focused on protecting children are not even having conversations about this and not only not having conversations, they are actively going against Uh, any efforts that are made to protect the future of our earth and our future generations. And finally, there is the TikTok ban, which, you know, of course, everyone has been talking about on TikTok. And I watched the congressional hearing. Um, I saw, you know, the shit show that it was and how badly it went. But I think the most frustrating thing to me about the entire focus of that hearing was about how are we protecting children from the dangers of TikTok? And it made me so mad to hear it being positioned from this perspective because all of the accusations that were made under the pretense of protecting children against TikTok can be made against any of the domestic social media platforms that we have here in the USA. The data collection is happening. The analyzing, the you know concerns around security, all of that is happening. And I know it's like a whole wormhole of whether it's domestic or international and the you know safety of our country um, under you know data being collected by um, other countries. I understand that's that whole conversation there, but that wasn't the focus of the congressional hearing. The focus was about how are we protecting children from what TikTok is allowing, the type of content that it's permitting. And what's even more concerning is if you look at 
the actual TikTok ban that is being considered, it is so scary because it allows for the government to be able to collect data and analyze any of our actions on social media and essentially ban whatever they would like um, with no limitations to the point that even just using a VPN, which a lot of us use as a VPN for like, you know, just watching TV shows, uh, watching movies that may not be available in the USA, but are available in other countries. It's a minimum of a $250,000 fine. And if it would be found that you are using a VPN to use TikTok, it's a million dollar fine. And not only that, there would be positions in the government put into place that would allow for analyzing communication, that is happening on social media apps, which is so scary because if you've ever read 1984 or really any post-apocalyptic book, you know, and also looked at other countries where um, fascism has been at play, where uh, dictatorship has been at play, that has been present. And it is so scary to see the detailings of the TikTok ban and what that would mean for the safety and security of American citizens. And the worst part is that it's being done under the pretense of protecting our children. And in regards to all the things that I've talked about in this episode, I think one of the dangers of focusing on this messaging of protecting our children is that it's a little bit of a taboo statement. If someone brings that up, then there's an automatic discouragement of any questioning of what actions are being put into place because it's like, oh, well, we're protecting the children and everyone agrees that we should protect the children and no one wants to go against that. It creates this precedent of not questioning whatever uh, legal actions are going to be happening because, of course, we all care about protecting children. But the thing that makes me so mad about each of these topics that I've covered is that these things aren't really about protecting our children. And if we really cared about protecting our children, I think we would put a lot more focus into mental health services, into, you know, um, putting legislation into place that would um, make it more difficult to access, um, you know, semi-automatic weapons or weapons of any kind that are capable of killing hundreds of people within minutes of each of the things that I mentioned, we would be focusing on those things rather than all of the other topics that I've already discussed. For me, all of this reinforces the message that we need to, as a people, focus on the bigger picture and the underlying problems that are spurring each of these issues rather than hyperfixating on the surface level issues alone. A perfect example of this is the gender affirming care bans. Like, okay, maybe, you know, uh, you know, those are important issues that need to be discussed. Um, and I think legislation is important around those, but we're so hyper fixated on these very small minute issues that represent a very tiny fraction of the overall population of our country and of the overall issues. And we're completely ignoring the major underlying issues like mental health services, like uh, government's intent to control, like the future and safety of our existence from a climate change perspective. We're not looking at the bigger picture. We're so focusing on these minute issues. And I think that really brings into discussion the topic of dichotomous thinking or polarized thinking, which is viewing everything as a black and white situation. It's either good, it's either bad. You're either uh, 
a good person or you're an evil person. This is either a good issue or a bad issue. Having that type of thinking is extremely dangerous. And it has been shown in history that it is very dangerous from a legal, political, government perspective to have that type of thinking. And in the conversation around protecting children, I see that dichotomous thinking really playing out in a very dangerous way where because no one wants to question what the underlying motives or intentions are under the pretense of protecting children, it's you're either with it or you're against it. And we need to become more comfortable exploring the gray areas. Unfortunately, the world that we live in, and specifically people, is not a black and white place. Uh, It is entirely a gray area. People are extremely complicated. There is no black and white when it comes to humans overall. And I think one of the keys that we need to make sure that we do in fighting each of these issues that are happening and fighting the attempts for control from our government is to make sure that we're not subscribing to this black and white thinking. And I think that comes down to first community. We need to make sure that as a people, as citizens of this country, we are coming together to fight against these issues and that we are not separating ourselves within each other because that will only lead to a disability of not being able to fight against what the government is trying to do or what they're not doing. And instead will just cause conflict within each of us individually, which within each of our communities, within each of our families. And I think it's really important that we have to come together. We have to find that common ground and we have to fight for what's right. And secondly, I think communication is really important too. Dichotomous thinking is reinforced by the language we use. I think we vastly underestimate the importance and the impact that language does have when it comes to issues like this. And I think by polarizing people through our language for example saying like if you think that you know the drag ban is okay you are evil you are a fascist you are this you are that that type of polarizing language while I understand the intent where it comes from only further separates um, us into two different sides into that dichotomous pattern um, that polarized viewpoint and will only make it even more difficult for us to really fight for what's right. I think communication is so important because if we are able to communicate on the premise of understanding, of wanting to understand the concerns of the other side, of finding middle ground um, and building that community between each other, then it will give us greater force in numbers to be able to fight against anything that is bad. Of course, that doesn't mean agreeing with what, uh, say, someone who thinks oppositely of you is saying. But I think if we don't find room for understanding in the communication that we use, and if we only further polarize ourselves by communicating from a place of solely anger and hatred and not trying to find that understanding, it's only going to disable us in the future and allow for the government and politicians to do whatever they want and really wreak havoc on our individual familial and communal, communal lives. So I think by doing both of those things, we can really work to overcome a lot of these issues. And I hope in this episode, it didn't come off as much of me sharing my own political opinions, which, you know, is definitely part of it. But I think, I hope it can help to I don't know, help with awareness around what the deeper issues are, what the bigger concerns that we should be focusing on are 
rather than fixating on surface level issues that I think at the end of the day don't contribute to the conversation around what is actually helping to protect children in this country. And everything that is happening, it just really breaks my heart. It makes me so sad to think about everything that is going on. But what makes me even more sad is that action is not happening or the action that is happening is only further controlling us and making it worse. Um, And I think we're really seeing that starting to play out in the government. And I really hope that we can come together and find that community because um, let me tell you, it'll be a lot easier to work to put politicians in our government who are fighting for our rights to make sure that our government is aligned with what our goals as a people are than it will be to continue to be oppressed by the government and then have to deal with the repercussions that come from that, whether it's the immediate consequences of legal decisions and, you know, what happens from, say, school shootings and different things like that. Um, Oh, yeah. Then versus having to deal with like full scale, like uprising and revolution and violence and all the things that can come with um, not being able to make sure that our government is representing us. So like I said before, this has been a really heavy topic. There are so many more things that I could go into um, when it comes to this, but I think just I hope this can encourage us to be more mindful in the conversation around what our actual goals are, how we are actually working to protect not only our children, but future generations and just us as a people overall. And I think we really need to step back, look at the bigger picture and just remember that we need to fight for what's right and we need to come together and we need to stand up for the human rights of every single person and for the safety and sanctity of our planet. So I don't know, maybe this was a little bit of a rant. I tried to keep it calm. I tried not to get too heated in this, but I just felt like I needed to talk about this because not saying anything is just maddening and it is driving me crazy having to see so much of this stuff play out uh, in the USA and not really knowing what to do about it. So this is the best thing I feel like I'm able to do right now. Um, I hope you resonated with some of the messaging of what I was saying in this video. Maybe you didn't, that's totally fine. But the fact that you were open-minded to listen through this whole podcast episode really means a lot to me. Um, and, you know, I think there's always value in hearing other people's perspectives, um, even if you disagree with them, uh, in order to gain come from a place of understanding and empathy for other people. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate it. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 and Odyssey Studio. New episodes out every Thursday, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And I will see you guys in the next episode. Mwah.